Maybe you should move to Hawaii. That's true. And you can move to Alaska. And we can both be floating, not in the lower 48. <laughs> yeah, we can. Oh, the the island of Alaska in the uh, s- Southwest Pacific. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it just lives in a box in the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how, that's how that works, right? Yeah, is that box a wall that somebody made a long time ago? <laughs> oh, boy. It's the it's the ice wall from the north. Oh, yeah. 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 Keeping, keeping the Alaskans in or keeping us out? Who knows? Are, are the Alaskans white walkers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, if you if you phrase it like that, no, I know a couple Alaskans, uh, hardy folks, salt of the earth. Is that what you for say? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Tougher than I am. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I need, I need yeah. way more sunlight in my life. Yeah, it's like forty degrees here, and I'm like, brr. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna stay inside with a hoodie on. Welcome to episode 290 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lovett. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back to another week. Holy shit, we're 10 away from a big milestone. I know, I'm sort of pausing on 290. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I heard that. (laughs) And also, I kind of lost my train of thought for a second. (laughs) What what should we do for 300? We're like two months away. So let's see, we'll be in April, May, like mid-May. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Listener, what do you think we should do for 300? Oh. Something special. Something special. Yeah, let us know. Bearing in mind that Marshall and I don't live in the same city, so live <laughs> live shows are probably out of the question. Also, or the uh, same state or the same coast. <laughs> yeah, same uh, different area code, let's just say. <laughs> yeah, we're about as far away as we can be from each other and still be in the united states yeah yeah 300 coming up let us know what we should do yeah we'll we'll be noodling on it for a bit but we're open to ideas Uh, i imagine there will be sparta jokes i'm guessing oh Uh, maybe i'll kick brian into a giant well not a bad idea (laughs) i love it but before i'm gonna let you do that we gotta thank our sponsor for making this week's episode possible huge thank you to abstract yes thank you abstract for sponsoring this episode Abstract is a design workflow management system for modern design teams. So today, when designers are working, they usually spend a ton of time, all of it frustrating, uh, searching for files and consolidating feedback from a bunch of different sources. And honestly, you never really know what changes have been incorporated or approved. So that's why Abstract is here. Abstract is end-to-end collaboration. It is everything from versioning your design files and storing them to requesting reviews, collecting feedback, presenting work. And then when you're ready to build the thing, you can actually hand off a spec directly from Abstract to your developers. All of this is on a single platform and that platform works both on and offline. So you can do your work on an airplane. Isn't that nice? (laughs) It is. So beyond assisting with just file management stuff, Abstract improves collaboration and transparency between designers and the engineers who are implementing their designs. In just the last couple of years, Abstract has over 100,000 users, and that includes people from companies like Intuit and Zappos and MailChimp and thousands of others across like 75 different countries. They all rely on Abstract to improve their design workflows. And as the line between designers and developers and PMs, as that line blurs, the team at Abstract believes that a more collaborative and open platform is going to enable faster production cycles. Today, Abstract seamlessly integrates with Sketch, who we recently learned has a million users, and Abstract is saying they have 100,000. So that means there's 900,000 of y'all that are not choosing Abstract as your tool of choice, which you should be. They're currently supporting Sketch, so 900,000 of you. Go sign up today. That's at abstract.com. 
But in 2019, they're going to continue adding support for additional design file types, including the Adobe Suite. So go to abstract.com. You can sign you and your team up for a 30-day free trial. That's free to start, to play around, start uploading your files, experience source of truth collaboration. Uh, it's game-changing. See what you're missing. See what you're missing. Figure out how uh, how efficient design teams are working. That's all for free. Yeah, it's free, man. Yeah, for free. 30-day trial. That's at abstract.com. Thank you again to Abstract for making this episode possible. Thanks, Abstract. All right, Marshall, we had uh, some good feedback last week. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I really enjoyed recording last episode or, yeah. you know, preparing it and saying the things I said. So <laughs> I enjoyed talking about the things that I prepared that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I like hearing myself talk, Brian. That's nice. Uh, but apparently other people did, too. <laughs> um, we, we, we heard some good things here. I, I'm pulling up a couple tweets. Yeah, Cal Roasten said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I work too quickly to rename, oh, sorry, quote unquote, I work too quickly to rename layers, end quote, is a short-sighted excuse heard often. I hope this is the most listened to pod yet. I agree, Cal. Thank you. Yeah, more people need to stop making excuses and just, just make it clean. Yeah. Do, do the cleanly stuff. Cal also hit us with another standalone tweet saying uh, that designers should listen to last week's episode. He said there's some gems in there on design file hygiene. So thank you, Cal, for spreading the good word. <laughs> uh, we also heard from Tim Bent. Uh, he said, possibly my favorite episode, I could listen to people explain their layer organization tips forever. Uh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> be careful what you wish for. I'm man. thinking a new pod, man. I'm thinking a new pod, <laughs> subcategorized as helping people fall asleep. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we'll put it in the sleep section. And here I created a bounds group for my button, and that is nudged eight dips away from my other button group, which has a slightly more constrained bounds. I'm going to hit a command R here and rename this to be capital B. And then lowercase O-U-N-D-S. Is this ASMR? Is this... <laughs> Something's happening. I don't know if I like it. It's, uh, it's, uh, people are getting some four-letter acronym. I'm not sure. Maybe yeah. PTSD. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, so Tim, hang tight. We'll see if I can convince Marshall to, to spin up a new pod. I could see it happening. So we also heard from Catherine, don't know the last name, on Twitter, says, thanks for the episode. Warmed my soul in that small patch that misses working with graphic designers full-time. So I guess Catherine is suggesting that graphic designers have file hygiene down and it is the product design counterparts that do not. So Oof. there are those among us who exist, Catherine, and I don't know if that sentence made any sense. Uh, we also heard from Ryan Han, who asked if we could start a layer organization OCD support group. Yeah, I mean, I, I have one. It only has one member, myself, but <laughs> you're welcome to join if you'd like. Uh, very exclusive, very exclusive club. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are the tweets. But positive feedback. It, it was great to hear from people that they resonated and, and appreciated your, your insights into file hygiene. So well done, Marshall. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's that's the whole point, right? Yeah. Uh, the last thing we heard from last week's episode was from Anthony Kalorafiki, who is, I believe, still the admin of the Spectrum Sketch Group. Let me double check that. Spectrum.chat slash sketch. Uh, yep, he's still on the team. There's 10,000 people in there right now. That's crazy. But Anthony sent over a link to a Medium article about how to serialize artboards for better organization. So uh, this is maybe another strategy. I don't know how well this drives with what you're doing Marshall, but maybe it's just another strategy for people who want to really get into the weeds of organization and having representations of how artboards fit into the hierarchy of your app, but also how they fit in, in relation to one another with regard to state. So uh, we'll have a link to that Medium article in the show notes. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. That's uh, really useful. I think I kind of do this anyways. Uh, by the way, the Medium article is by Andy Detskas. 
if I'm saying that correctly. But yeah, I think I do this already kind of with using rows in Sketch to kind of define different flows. Yep. Rows for flows. But yeah, this is, this is a little bit more formal way of doing it, and I like it, and I might start adopting it. Ooh. Yeah. Cool. So a couple more things that I that I did not mention last episode that might be uh, additional little things to help you with your organization. One cool thing is the, I believe it's in the uh, layer tools plugin that I mentioned last episode. One of the most useful parts of that is, is a, an action that allows you to prepend or append uh, to your, to your layer names. So if you want to rename your uh, symbols and, and change the hierarchy of those symbols, you can easily bump them down a level by adding you know, whatever slash before those names. Oh, I see. Which is super useful. It also has find and replace, which allows you to change the hierarchy of things. If you want to move it from one subsection to another, you just find that name and replace it. Super useful. So, so that's good for organization. That, that Layer Tools plugin has a thousand different things in it. It's really useful. But um, those, that was one of the things I wanted to call out. Another thing is something I probably should have mentioned, but um, and, and I'm curious what you think about this, Brian. But in addition to thinking in divs, I also try to organize and, and order my layers in each artboard from top left to top right in the layer list from top to bottom. So so I try to keep the, oh, you hmm. know what I'm saying? Unless there's some sort of requirement that a layer needs to be on top of others. So for example, like a tab bar is at the bottom of the screen. So it would be at the bottom of the layer list in that artboard, but because it needs to be Z ordered above the other things, it, yeah. I, I usually put it in like a Chrome folder and then I set that Chrome folder to have click-through contents, yep. the little checkbox. That way it doesn't, because it'll intercept all of your clicks because it would include like the status bar at the very top and the tab bar at the very bottom. So you want to have the, the click-through checkbox uh, selected right. or enabled. I don't know. I'm trying to imagine in my head if I do top to bottom is top left to bottom right or if I do it the inverse where like the first layer... Hmm. I actually, I, I probably don't have any consistency there, but I think that's interesting. That that seems more annoying to keep organized if you're moving stuff around a lot. It is, and and the application fights you on that, right? So if you duplicate something, it always goes above, right, right, and you have to kind of move it below. So you know, Command Option down is a keystroke I hit pretty frequently. I also have macros set up so that when I duplicate something, I can I can have it move below the current layer. Okay. What do you use for those macros? Uh, I use Keyboard Maestro. I believe I've mentioned it previously, on the show before. Previously mentioned. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great little macro system. You can create keyboard shortcuts that are for any application uh, on Mac. And yeah, it just is a little mini bar item that runs. And anytime you hit that keyboard shortcut, it'll do whatever you want it to do. And you, it can actually have it do really, really complicated macros that click on certain parts of the screen and all sorts of stuff. It's super powerful. I don't use it nearly for the amount of, uh, I don't use its power nearly as much as I probably should, but yeah, it's great. Great. Well, I saw some people poking around in the sketch file and sharing screenshots as well. So that seems like some people found found valuable. So thank you for putting that together and sharing it, Marshall. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it was scary. It was scary to put my work out there, especially because like that, that file isn't done. Like I'm not done with that project yet. And yeah, I've only yeah. been working on it and like every once in a while on evenings or weekends. So, and I've only been working on it for a couple of weeks, but yeah, you know, 
it's it's scary to put that stuff out there, but hopefully people can learn from it, and uh, nobody's shat on me too hard for <laughs> being a terrible designer yet. So yeah, so far so good. All right, let's talk about some news. So uh, as of recording yesterday, uh, Apple announced that they are canceling Air Power, uh, which uh, woof woof indeed. Not not the biggest deal, but it is certainly an interesting thing to happen for a company like Apple. So. <laughs> For people who don't know about it, Marshall, fill me in on what this means and what's going on. Yeah, so a year and a half ago, uh, Apple announced that they were going to be releasing at some point in 2018 uh, a product called AirPower. And this is a Qi wireless charging mat that uh, was not zone specific. You could place whatever you wanted to, wherever you wanted to on the mat. It would charge your phone, your watch, uh, your your AirPod case, uh, all at once on the same mat, one cable, beautiful and it would, it would organize everything like uh on your it would display the battery levels on your iphone uh, everything all interconnected and really nice and to be expected everyone was like yeah that sounds great please i'll, I'll take here's one. my money give yeah me, give take, me take give my fucking yeah. money <laughs> and apple uh, i think it was uh phil schiller said next year this is in 2017 so at some point in 2018 we're gonna get this air power thing uh fast forward to march 2019 <laughs> um uh and uh, they canceled it, which is strange because Apple doesn't announce things unless they're going to put them out, and they certainly don't cancel things that have been announced. Even the uh, iPhone 4, which they had like months and months of troubles getting the white right, they still eventually released it after they, you know, far after the black one came out. But yeah, it still came out. <laughs> this is the first time they've canceled something, to my knowledge, in, in the modern era of of Apple. So uh, it's bizarre. But they have it printed on the back of the new AirPods box. Yeah. Like they, yeah. mm. they believed that it was going to ship long before they knew they had to cancel it. So I guess, so I guess the story is, and we'll put a link to a video by MKBHD Marquez Brownlee on YouTube in the show notes, and he he gives a rundown of this stuff. But the story that I read or heard, or maybe I saw it in this video, I don't know. I acquired this knowledge, and it must be true. But um, the story I heard is that when before they announced Air Power, they kind of went to the engineers and were like, "Yo." Is this thing possible or not? And there was a faction that said, no, this is impossible. Physics just won't allow what you want to have happen to happen. And there was another faction that said, no, we can do this. We, we think we can figure this out. And Apple chose to believe the people who said we can figure this out and announced it. And now uh, the people who said this is impossible because physics uh, are walking around with smug smug smiles because they were right. Yeah, but honestly, I'm glad they tried. If that story is no, true, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm glad that they chose to follow the optimist. Like, okay, we don't get it at the end. It's embarrassing for Apple, but I'm glad that they at least gave it a year and a half of effort to see if that kind of future could be possible. And yeah, the promise is so huge. The right? promise I mean, is great. Like, right. it's, such a great it's such a great thing. I, I would really have loved for it to exist. And I don't, I mean, in my mind, I don't dock them. I'm sure there will be some Wall Street people that are like, <laughs> will downgrade them or something. I don't know how money works, but. Uh, <laughs> how does stock market work? This might affect their stock a bit. I don't know, but I, I hope not because like, and it's still making cool shit. And hopefully, so here's, here's my question is like, that technology of the smart battery display on the on the iPhone, like I think Marquez mentions this in his video, but like it'd be awesome if they could use that great idea and partner with a third party that actually will make the hardware and can can get something done, but but still use that same you know software stuff. Right. It seems like okay. So the dream, or, or it seems like the impossible bit was having a, a mat that you could put something on anywhere like it didn't have to have zones of charging yeah I, that doesn't matter to me so and it, much th but. that doesn't matter to me either so it seems like 
it, it's a good opportunity for a third-party manufacturer to, to build something that has two or three discrete zones for charging and don't worry about overlapping the, the coils. Like this is such a classic Apple thing to do though, of to like to look at this technology that's good, but has this stupid thing you have to do, which is line it up perfectly, or if it doesn't work great, and they, you know, rightly so go, hey, we should probably fix that shitty part of this good technology, right? Yep. And then they tried to and, and weren't able to, but like that's that that's the right thing to do is like, this is fucked up. We should we should make this better. Right. But it, I mean, it's still, you know, as long as you don't bump it during the night or whatever, if you're charging, <laughs> like it's fine. As long as you don't accidentally nudge it slightly off center, you're fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, big, big news, I guess, for for some people who are looking forward to that, like us. So Marshall, let's dig into some some meat this week. We've got a, a bunch of listener questions. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do this first one? Yeah. So this one comes from Sophia F, who tweeted at us about a an app called the Streaks app. And the Streaks app has an option to set a custom app icon. And Sophia says, there are some apps that I have to move to folders because the logo is awful and draws my eye. What are your thoughts on uh, apps adding this custom icon feature? Love it. Love it. Which apps do you have uh, custom icons for? Bear and Apollo are the two that come to mind. Yep. Okay. Tweetbot, I think, has a custom one too. I have uh, the Pocket Cast one. I think that's the only one I have. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, Pocket Cast. Yeah, I I like Bear as a as a notes app and that lets you change the theme. And I think the theme affects the app icon so that they're tied the in-app display and oh, the, that's nice. yeah. the app icon uh, and then yeah like you mentioned pocket cast apollo has a ton apollo is a reddit uh, app alternative which i think is better than the first party app in my opinion your mileage may vary but uh, they have <laughs> probably like 20 different icons and if you subscribe to their well i say they i mean he <laughs> if you subscribe to his like ultra pro program or whatever which is basically five dollars a year or something stupid like that you get um you get a new icon every month from from some artist which is pretty cool right i basically keep it on the same i I just i just i found the one that i liked and uh, i just give him money because he's making a cool thing that i like that's great and the icons are great like the the alternatives are really fun yeah they're all goofy it's not just color right it's actually changing the icon and, and the character on the front yeah from different artists and different styles, and there's like eight bit, you know, uh, pixely ones and illustra- illustrative ones. Um, I think David Lanham might have done one. Uh, yeah, he made one called The Adventure, and it's fucking adorable. Yep, that's very cute. Anyways, yeah, so I'm I'm a huge fan of this. I, I think anytime as a as a power user of most of the things I use, anytime you can give me extra settings, extra options, extra functionality, yes, please, always. I really wish, I mean, because it's available now, I really wish every app would, would offer this. I think it increases user sentiment. Yeah, it's probably positive there. And I think as more and more dark mode e things kind of come out, it becomes inevitable that you need to support at least a darker variant of, of light icons and perhaps the inverse as well. I often think about like what, because iOS is so mature, I often think like what else could they do? And one of the things that they probably will wait forever to do if they ever do it at all, but that I would like to see is external function in the app icon based on stuff happening inside the app, right? Yeah, like live icons or widgets or something. Yeah, well, in the same way that the clock icon updates the time to be accurate, right? Something like that. And it would have to be heavily, you know, uh, regulated by Apple. Yeah, so they should have that for every app, right? Like this or like with calendar, it updates to say the month and the day. Yeah, so like some external 
functionality there that would have to be minimal, right? But you could imagine a weather app that would update the icon to be the current weather or stuff like that. So I would love to see this expanded, not just here's a bunch of static icons you could change to, but like, you know, dynamic ones. Yeah, I would just also not want to live in a world where every app feels that it has to be dynamic in order to differentiate itself. Yeah, it'd have to be heavily regulated by Apple. In such, if you notice the way that these that I'm suggesting are it, like the clock, the variation is so minimal. It's just like the position of the hands. Yeah, nobody actually looks at the icon to tell the, tell the time. <laughs> right, but you see what I'm saying. Right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. whatever you did would have to still maintain the overall identity of your app, so it's noticeable, but it couldn't change it completely. Right, like you wouldn't have like a rotating stock ticker or some shit on your stock app. You know what I mean? Or if you did, it would have to be a main component that always stays there and the stock ticker part moves i don't know whatever how, how do you how do you feel about uh home screen widgets like android uh i don't like them mostly because they take up so much space like the app icon being static and doing nothing doesn't help me right like the only thing that the icon can do other than just sit there is tell me a number of how many things are unread or whatever inside of it right that's all the icon can do so I, and and i spend a lot of time on the home screen it's like what Apple wants me to go back to every time I'm done using an app, right? So having more more stuff displayed here would be, or more useful things displayed here would be great. It sounds like you're making an argument in favor of widgets, though. Like if you could customize that and have small widgets. Yeah, yeah, but widgets in the icon, right? I don't want a big fat widget that takes up half the screen and pushes half my icons to a second screen. You know what I mean? Sure. And I do use the Today View. Like I use those widgets a lot, and and those are nice as like a bunch of different buttons or some display of, of uh, you know, news items or uh, podcasts, whatever. Like, that makes sense. But just on the icon, in the same way that the time changes or the date changes, I would want to see something like that. You know, not every app has a today widget, right? It isn't, it isn't necessary. It isn't required. It might not even be useful for a lot of apps. But if it is, it makes sense to put something there in the same way I would, I would expect for the icon. I could get behind that. Did, did I caveat enough to, to get you on my side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's enough caveats. And the big one is Apple would have to have some sort of regulation to like, or like discernment of what is good and what is a bad use of that feature. Yeah, it would just be added to the process. Right, right. But like, what else can they do, right? Like, what else is, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are other things that I'm too dumb to think of, but like, I, f I feel like that's a reasonable thing to to expect to see in the future eventually. Uh, I wouldn't put it past Apple to never, ever, ever allow <laughs> yeah, that. That's, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well. Anyways, to uh, answer your question, Sophia, yes, love it. Good. Great. Done. That was longer than it should have been. Determined. Uh, custom app icons, good. All right, we've got another question. This one is from Anonymous. It is submitted via direct message to the Design Details FM Twitter account. And this anonymous person asks, I'm experienced but new in the field. And this is my first job as a designer slash developer uh, for two and a half years. If I'm reading this correctly, this person has been a developer for two and a half years. The question is, do you have any advice for me moving on to be a product designer? So this person is worried that their resume doesn't really look convincing. They're also worried that their their website isn't good enough and it might be a little bit leaning towards development. I'm, I'm inferring quite a bit from this this particular question. But I think the, the core thing here is, how do you transition from being perhaps like a specialized UI designer or, or even uh, just a developer into being a, a full-fledged product designer? Can you define product designer for me, please? Yeah. Well, that's that's sort of the, the tricky part of this question is, uh, right, is what is a product designer? And I, I guess my personal loose definition is a 
product designer is a generalist that has expertise in, across multiple fields, like not super deep, but understands aspects of user research, of ideally some level of, of product development, like from a programming perspective, like here is how iOS loosely works. Here's how Android loosely works. There has to be some element of visual design. There has to be some element of interaction design. That to me is a product designer and I'm probably missing a few things, but broadly speaking, it is a generalist building products across multiple functions and can sort of be that third third spoke on the triangle of a designer, product manager, engineer. Okay. Like those three people should be able to build a thing. And this person is all three of those. This person is two of those. Looks like a UI designer slash developer. Okay. But they really just want to be a product designer. Which I, I, I guess if I'm going to keep expounding on my perhaps shoddy definition of product designer, <laughs> I think there's just a different expectation, right? Like if you are, if your title is developer, you have a different expectation in your company of what you do day to day. Sure. And so perhaps this person's trying to change that perception and literally change their title to be a product designer. But yeah, I don't just write code. I, I do all these other things, right? I draw boxes too. But I'm not super good at all the other things and I want to get better at those other things. Help me transition. How do I do that? Oof. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what any of these things mean, right? I mean, unless it's very specific, like interaction designer, motion designer, right? If you say if you say product designer, I, I guess I think, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, I guess. But I don't know. I would expect you to be a master of all the things that you do. I don't know. Well, your label is product designer, right? Or your title? I guess so. I think I'm just, I think I'm, um, actually, I think I'm an interface designer technically, but oh. I don't, but I do, I do all those things that you said. I don't write code, but I, I know how iOS works. I, I have written iOS code before. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess what I'm meaning is you understand some of the technical nuance of different platforms. Like you could differentiate yeah. between what it means to build a web app versus an iOS app. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'm a product designer. Yeah, I would say so. All right. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Because like, my, yeah, I, I'm not, I, I do interaction, I do motion, I do, yeah, I do all that stuff. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a product designer. <laughs> well, let me read this question again. Oh boy. Um, oh boy. We're having to no, it's important to like down. define these things because holy shit, like, I mean, I don't know that there is an agreed upon definition, but as long as we can like locally agree to answer this question, then then that's useful. Well, maybe it's worth also just going ahead and saying like, if you have a different definition of product designer, dear listener, it'd be cool to aggregate those. I've sort of been, mine's rough, but it's just loosely generalist. Like, I don't know how else to describe it because it is so fuzzy. Like you can be stronger in any one of those given traits and still be a product designer, but it's loosely the capability of doing lots of different things. It's an intentional lack of specificity. Yeah. Sounds like. Yeah, so okay. So some advice on moving from what you do to being a product designer. Yeah, I mean, like have you have you worked with engineers at Google that have transitioned to be designers? No, I've I've worked with a designer who's transitioned to be a UX engineer, which is kind of in between. But I don't know of any engineers that have become designers. That's interesting. But I think maybe the first thing to do is to like if you haven't done any projects that you can show off on your portfolio or nothing that you're super proud of, do some side stuff maybe, or like do some like, you know, case study type things just to show your thinking process. Cause I think that's a lot, what a lot of this comes down to is like, if you go for an interview, nobody's trying to get you right. Nobody's, nobody's going to ask you any gotcha questions. They're more probably trying to figure out how you think, right. Right. If the way you think is compatible with the way they work and, and sufficient to get the job done. So showing the way you think in your portfolio is a, is a good way to get that across. 
and or I should say case studies are a good way to get the way you think across. Well, I think side projects is pretty good avenue here for building up not only just your own experience there, but also as a way to demonstrate that you're able to think clearly, even if you haven't nailed down something specific like the visuals or or animations, but if you can get the gist of something across. And ideally you ship that side project. But I think, you know, a good example would probably be what you did with the New York Times crossword, which is this is something that you just do every day. And there's all these little things that annoy you and you just wanted it to be better. So you made a sketch file for it. I would caveat, it's good that you probably didn't write an unsolicited redesign medium article. I think those get a pretty bad vibe in the industry. If you hadn't had if you hadn't pushed me, I would never have shown that to anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have sat on your computer, getting de- dusty till the end of time. Just for me. Just uh, that's that's my workout routine, right? Right. I think my actual advice here is, if I were to invert the question, I had a designer friend who wanted to become an engineer. My advice to that design friend would be, go sit down next to an engineer and try to work with them as much as you can every single day, and learn the way that they work and try to get involved and see if you can pick up tiny tasks that they don't want to do. And so I think you could easily do the inverse here, like move your desk, go sit next to the product designers, start asking them questions about why they're making decisions that they're making, try to get involved on their projects, even if it's just doing bullshit work, like aligning icons or or pixel fitting. I, I don't know, like whatever the bullshit work that product designers do that, that they don't want to do and, and you would be willing to volunteer to help them just to build those relationships and and get some experience and put your name on things that are shipping and say, look, I was involved in some of the decision-making process here. And that's probably what I would say to any designer wanting to be an engineer. So it seems like that the inverse could work. I don't know. How does that ring to you? That's great advice. It's like, um, it reminds me of like, say an actor gets cast as, as a a police officer and they do a ride along with a real police (laughs) officer to prepare for the role. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of that, right? Immerse yourself with people who are doing the thing that you want to be doing. And I mean, it's free, right? Like, uh, assuming you want to stay at the same company, I, I'm not I'm not reading in this question that you want to leave and go to a different company as a product designer. So if you're staying in your same company, yeah, like those are the people who are going to be your future coworkers or, you know, future teammates if, if you do end up doing this thing. So yeah, if you're trying to switch companies, I think that's probably the harder sell is just because yeah. you're going to be missing the portfolio and you're going to have Oof. to make up for that with side projects or something else. And that just takes more time. Uh, so yeah, maybe that's that's a good good enough answer there. If other people have made the transition, it'd be cool to hear from you. If you've gone from engineering to design, let us know. I, I have some people off the top of my head that we could maybe even have as guests on the show. Sam Sofas being one of those. He's a iOS engineer that has recently started doing a lot of design projects at Lyft, and he might have some more uh, on-the-ground advice. Cool. RE this question. So Sweet. Cool. And we have one more listener question this week. So this last listener question is related to last week's discussion about when Marshall and I were talking about how designers should put in a two weeks notice, how they should transition gracefully from one job to another. So again, this comes from a anonymous, we're assuming this is anonymous, it was sent by DM. And the question is, it's actually several questions, but Oh yeah. Also, if you if you send in a question, let us know if you want to be anonymous or to say, if it's cool to say your name. Yeah, we'll just assume DMs are anonymous unless otherwise dictated. Okay, so several questions here, but they go, how does the need to tie up loose ends, perhaps over a month or two, affect your transition to a new job? How should you time applying to a new job? How should you disclose your need to stay at your current job for a month? Can the need to stay longer be exploited by or looked down upon during the interview process with potential new jobs? 
These are great questions. Yep. So maybe, Marshall, do you want to just recap what we talked about last week related to like what two weeks notice means in our industry? And and then we can answer like how that actually affects the the transition process and interview process. Yeah. So uh, basically, we're just saying that two weeks notice basically doesn't exist in our industry. You need the proper and right thing to do is to finish either shipping the thing that you were working on or adequately handing it off to a successor before you leave, just basically generally making sure that the things you were working on are left in good hands before you leave. And and sometimes that takes a month, two months. Right. It's going to be longer than two weeks, almost certainly. So how do you negotiate that if you are trying to switch companies and the other company wants you to join ASAP and you're worried that if you ask for extra time, it's going to kill that interview process? How would you approach that? I mean, I guess it depends on the company, but if I were to hear that, I would take that as a signal that, oh, this person is responsible and they're not going to screw us if they leave, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a it's a good indication of your loyalty and your um, ability to follow through on the things you start. Yeah. Demonstrating professionalism towards your current company as you're leaving that current company is always a good sign. Yeah. And, and even if it means that you'll start later than the new company would like you to, they will be encouraged by your professionalism and know that you will carry that to when you're working with them. Yep. I think that basically answers it. The only thing I could think of to add is like, at least for product designers in the tech industry, two months is nothing. Like recruiters will spend six months trying to get one candidate. And if you need to, basically, if you have an offer on the table, there's usually not an amount of time that they won't be willing to wait to get you in. Mm-hmm. Like it is so hard to get somebody to sign an offer that if they get you to do that, they're like, all right, take as much time as you need. We're just excited that we closed this process. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I just hired a new person onto my team and I'm going to have to wait two months for her. But uh, it's like, okay, fine, whatever, whatever it takes. Two and a half months, that's fine. As long as you as long as you join. Yeah. That that's all that really matters. So from from the candidate's point of view, just don't worry too much about that. Like if you get that far in the interview process, you're you're good. Cool. Well, I think that uh answers most of this person's several sub questions. But uh let us know if we missed anything, person who's listening, who who I know will probably hear this because they've asked several questions in the past. <laughs> So the question that we thought we wouldn't spend that much time on, we spent the most time on. (laughs) Half icons. Yeah, and the other two questions are relatively easy. Yeah, but that is listener questions. If you'd like to ask us a question, you can ask us uh, on Twitter. We're Design Details FM. And if you're not using Twitter, I'm fine giving out my email address. It's on my website. Uh, It's just hi at brianlevin.com. Sure. Yeah, mine is my name at gmail, marshallbach at gmail.com. Hit me up. There you go. So thanks for the listener questions, everyone. Keep them coming. Yes, thank you. And uh, yeah, remember when you write in a question, include, if you don't mind, include uh, whether you'd like to be anonymous or not. Yeah. Because we'll read your name and shout you out. Yeah. Unless you don't want us to. All right, let's do some uh, cool things and get the F out of here, Brian. Let's do it. I've got a cool thing this week. Do it. So uh, this is from last week when I was, I had recently had surgery on my shoulder and I was flipping through movies because I was on the couch on drugs for a little while. (laughs) And as you do, just kind of mindless yeah, as one does when they have had surgery so i'm just scrolling 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 uh a little bit out of it and this one movie poster catches my eye ah, have you seen this i've seen this poster and i've i it caught my eye as well but i didn't watch it i think i watched the trailer and was was unimpressed but okay go ahead you might be unimpressed overall um but i enjoyed <laughs> it so the movie is called prospect which came out last year i'd never heard of it didn't know anything about it uh but the poster is great it's like 
old school retro Star Wars eighties seventies vibe. It is loosely imagined gold prospectors from the eighteen hundreds, except they're in space and they're traveling to different planets. Okay, so the movie is called Prospect, which ties that together. And it's sci-fi. It is simple. They do a really, really beautiful job of world building in this movie. So you're immediately just plopped into this environment where all these subtle cues around the characters and the things they do and the things they say explain so much about the broader universe that they're living in. I don't know if it ever says a time frame, but you can infer that it's in the future. But like their their armors kind of or their spacesuits are a little bit shitty, so you can tell they're not rich. And they're shitty enough that you could infer, you know, that there's probably nicer ones. Therefore, these people are probably poor. And like, then you're you're in this interesting world of okay, we're we're in this world where space travel is accessible to poor people, and they're going to mine gold essentially. So, anyways, I won't go too much into the plot, but uh, it's it was a nice film. It was pretty simple. Like, I think this was a relatively low budget sci-fi movie. Uh, is the first premiere film from the directors, uh, Christopher Caldwell and Zeke Earl. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I was also a little bit out of it. So I think that might have <laughs> even enhanced the experience. But uh, <laughs> the fever dream. Yeah, maybe some other folks have watched it and, and can chime in. Uh, I actually read through the IMDb reviews afterwards, and it does seem a little bit divisive. Some people, it's like either nines or tens or ones and twos. Uh, very few things in between. So people loved it or hated it, and I fell on the, the love it side. Yeah, it's got uh, Oberyn Martell in it uh, from Game of Thrones. Yeah, and I like him. He's been in a lot of things recently. He was uh, in a new Netflix special. What's his name? Pedro Pascal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so he was in it. Uh, I hadn't heard of Sophie Thatcher, who is the main daughter character, and she did a great job. I hadn't seen her in any of her other stuff before. Oh, shit. It's got Andre Royo, Bubs from The Wire. Oh, I haven't seen The Wire. You haven't, oh, my fucking God, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The Wire's amazing. I'm, okay. I'm in the middle of the fifth season, the final season right now. It's so good. Okay. Anyways, that's my cool thing. Uh, it's a it's a movie. I think that's my first pop culture cool thing. I'm so proud of you, Brian. I know. I know. I'm coming along. Cool. I, I have a book to share. Oh, okay. So I am a prolific Audible listener. Um, that's how I consume most of my my books. And I was looking for a new thing. And actually, I think it was recommended to me by the Audible algorithm. But it says Audible Original. It's called We Are Legion, parentheses, We Are Bob. It's a, it's a sci-fi book. I would compare it to the same kind of tone as Ready Player One in that there's like 80s references or like, you know, pop culture references from when this 30-year-old was a kid. So 80s and 90s references. But the premise of the story is this guy... Uh, who's an engineer signs up for one of those cryogenic things where they will, you know, preserve your body when you die. And then he dies like right away and gets (laughs) preserved and gets woken up like 200 years in the future, 150 years in the future. And like America is a theocracy and everything's kind of gone to shit. And he's an AI. He's like basically his, his intelligence is, is in a computer. He still remembers everything, but he's a computer now. His memories are. And, uh, he gets shot off into space to to try to spread the human race because the earth is fucked and uh, the people are fucked. And uh, he's like one of the last hopes, but he also has competition kind of like like Sputnik. Um, he has competition from other other countries. So, yeah, it's like kind of a new space race thing. And then there's three books in the trilogy. I'm currently halfway through the second one. It is very, very good. 
I love it very much. Oh, it's, boy. It's a page turner, uh, by which I mean a, a minute listener. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the minutes melt by. Yeah, yeah, a minute melter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but yeah, We Are Legion, parentheses, We Are Bob is the name of the first book. The the uh, series is the Bobiverse is the name of the series. Is is this because the main character's name is Bob? Yeah, his name is Bob. Yeah, um, if you get it on Audible, the reader is very good I, I really like i think it's ray porter or something like that the guy's a great reader it does lots of different voices well and um paints paints the picture with his words nice i've been look looking for a good sci-fi fictiony uh book to get into so uh dude it's great and it's it's a great combination of playful sci-fi in that kind of ready player one kind of thing of like it's it's all kind of goofy and we're making pop culture references combined with some real hard sci-fi. Okay, I'm on it. I already ordered it <laughs> as you were talking. So Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, please give me an update and let me know what you think. I, I listened. I think the first one is maybe eight hours or so. I'm doing paperback, so. Oh, you monster. <laughs> I can't. I can't audio book. Well, I'll, yeah, I will keep you posted either way as I get please. into it. I'm uh, just wrapping up another book, which actually will probably be my cool thing for next week, assuming I finish it this week. So sweet, cool. Well, that's uh, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. This was uh, episode two hundred ninety. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. We love the the feedback to keep coming. We love the listener questions. Uh, DM us, tweet us, email us. All that information's here. And smoke and we'll... signals, Morse code. Well, flashlights. <laughs> Morse code would be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Cans and, and a piece of string. <laughs> we'll get there. Just get get us those questions. However, you can think to get us those questions, and we'll we'll hopefully answer. Turkey call. <laughs> turkey call those questions to us uh, thank you so much of course also to sarah and drew our producers and editors extraordinaire who make this podcast possible and make us sound way smarter than we actually are so thank you sarah and drew for another week and of course thank you to abstract our sponsor who made this episode possible abstract is like github but for designers it is a source of truth design collaboration tool that works both on and offline it works with all of your sketch files and it will change the way that you and your team work together. You can get started for free today by going to abstract.com. Sign up, get your team on board, get that source of truth rolling, and you can try it for free for 30 days. Uh, and then after that, you're going to have to pay for it, but you will you will become a believer and it will be well worth the dollars that you spend. So go check them out. That's abstract.com. Thank you so much, Abstract, of course, for making this episode possible. Thanks, Abstract. That's it. Yeah. If you need more podcasts, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just like you. Uh, otherwise, I uh, hope you have a great week. Listeners, we'll, we'll catch you next time around. Catch you on the flip side. Bye-bye. Bye. Ooh, that one was. Yeah, that was a, that was a breathy, breathy one. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. I can smell that one over here. <laughs> uh, oh no! <laughs> I didn't say if it was good or bad. Yeah, it's good. It'd yeah, be really yeah. nice. Yeah, winter green. Yeah, I could just like feel the heat of it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>